Happy Father's Day, dads. Thanks so much for being here. Hopefully on your way and you grabbed a donut. If you didn't, make sure you grab one. Get the bacon kind. I know at first you're like really bacon on a donut. It is disturbing how good they are, right? You'll just want to keep eating more and more. So make sure you grab one. A ton of fun this week as we celebrate Father's Day. And uh, what we're going to do today is kind of wrap up this series you've been in for the last bunch of weeks called Right Now. And uh, here's what we've been talking about. We said that we're all in the middle of a right now. And uh, certainly fatherhood is going to be one of those. But we said there's all kinds of different seasons, different situations or roles that I can have in life. And when I'm in the middle of my right now, it's a little bit hard to see it because I'm so consumed by just living life. And we said there's really three myths we've been talking about that in, as I'm living out my season, I might miss what's happening right now. We talked about three. We said the arrival myth, the nostalgia myth, and the filtered life myth. We said as we look forward, sometimes we'll set a point of arrival in life and we'll say, when I hit this, that's when life will really begin. Uh, maybe it's finishing college or getting married or finding somebody or paying off debt, whatever it is. There's an arrival point out there. We said that myth is not true. Life is happening right now, right? It's happening all around us. We said life is not found just in the future. It's also not in the past. The nostalgia myth would look back at a high water mark in life and say, I remember back here at this time when life was amazing. Who knows what was happening? Maybe it was when I was a kid or I was back in college or I met somebody for the first time and we were really happy together. If life could be like that again, then life would be amazing. We said this is a nostalgia, but it's not true. I can't go back. I can't get back to that point in time. And in fact, there's things that are happening right now that are amazing and I want to make sure I see those and lock into them. Now, the third one we talked about was the filtered life myth. We said that when I'm in the middle of a season or a right now that maybe is a little bit uh, frustrating or I'm a little discontented with where I am, it's really easy, especially in today's day and age when we've got social media. Right? It's not a bad thing, but we're going to see each other's lives, and maybe the highlight moments of each other's lives and think, boy, if I had their life, if I, if I was out on that vacation or if I was dating someone like they're dating or had a marriage or a family or a job like that person, then my life would really be unbelievably amazing. So that's a myth. All those are myths. Uh, life's not out there. It's not back here. It's not someone else's life. Life is happening right now. And what we've been saying is that God actually wants to meet me right in the middle of my life situation, right? Where, wherever I am, that, that he wants to work in me and he wants to work through me. And there's some things that he wants to do in and around my life. And I'm going to miss out on those if my head and my heart is out in the future, in the past, or somewhere, anywhere other than my right now. And so what we've been doing is looking at, at different life scenarios that we could find ourselves in. Now, we took a, took a weekend to talk about uh, motherhood and kind of parenting from that lens. We, we looked at midlife investment. We said, if I've gained some influence in life, how do I make sure that I invest that properly and maximize that if that's my season or my stage of life? Uh, we spent some time to talk about singleness and dating. We said, if that's what my right now looks like, how do I approach life and really approach identity if I'm in that place in my, in my life. And we looked at work. We said, man, we spend a ton of time at work. There's a huge portion of our life. How do I maximize that wherever that work life might be? And then just last weekend, we said, if you're in a, in a place of life where you're forming kind of who you are, if you're a student, maybe you're new in your faith or you're in college or in high school, or you're saying, I'm kind of starting over, making a fresh run at life. We said, if you're in a season of training, what does that look like to embrace that is my right now? And what we're going to talk about today is uh, being a dad, kind of parenting from the dad lens, the fatherhood lens. And uh, we want to have a conversation all around that. And I realize that fatherhood can look a bunch of different ways. 
Uh, you may be an expecting dad. Maybe you're on your way into fatherhood, so you're tuned in at a different level saying, I got to listen to this because I'm about to do, kind of go enter into this realm. Uh, you might have your mind blown right now that it's your brand new dad, and you're like, this little human being is with me all the time. I don't sleep. How do I engage this new phase of life? It's kind of mind-blowing. You may be deeper into the, maybe the toddler years and trying to watch little human beings as they can now move around that you're entrusted with. You might be in my phase of parenting. I call uh, where I am right now the sweet spot. Right? I've got four kids. They're between the ages of four and ten, and uh, there's nobody in diapers and nobody's to puberty yet. It is beautiful. Right? It is a wonderful time of life. And if you're with me there, woohoo, we get a breather. Right? It's a beautiful time. And you might be deeper into the parenting years where you're a teenager, right? You're parenting teens and figuring out how do we navigate these waters? This is interesting as, as our children are coming really close to becoming adults and becoming independent. And then, of course, you may be kind of farther down the road where you've launched your children. They may even have children of their own. And now you're figuring out how, how do we relate now that we're peers, kind of, right? You're, they're out of the nest and out of the direct parenting phase. And now... I've got this adult child, and I'm still their dad, but it's not the same as it used to be. What is this supposed to look like? Right? A bunch of different ways we could be affected by parenting as a father ourselves. And then, of course, all of us are going to be affected by our dads, right? the dads that we grew up with. And that, of course, can be a, a painful thing. It can be a, a thing of great pride. Some of us are here today, we've lost our dads, and there's a special pain that comes to that. Realize that even as we go into our conversation today. So I think this whole conversation will apply to all of us. And specifically, of course, if you're a dad, you'll be tuned in, I think, at a different level. But even before we jump into our conversation today, I want to make sure something is just super clear. Right? Super clear. Because we're going to talk about parenting from dad's perspective and how to do the best we can. And that's really important, right? How do we live out my life as a dad right now? We're going to talk about that. But before we do, I want to make sure that this is clear. There is no magic formula to raising kids kind of the right way. There's no guarantee that they're going to turn out a certain way, that, that if I plug in this action and this practice and this habit, that out will pop these kids that are perfect and believe everything I believe and act exactly the way that I, I want them to act. And I think we know that, but I just want to make sure we say it out loud, right? That we, can we kind of up the ante of influence in our kids' lives. Sure, we influence each other in all kinds of ways, and certainly parents can influence their children in massive ways. We can impact them. But I cannot determine and I cannot choose what my children are going to believe, and I can't determine how they're going to turn out. I want to make sure that that's clear as we jump into our conversation today. And here's one of the things that I notice is we, we talk about fatherhood. I've seen this in my life, and I think kind of in all of our lives, that there's a tendency to just kind of react to the fathering or the parenting that I received, right? So if you grew up and, and you kind of loved what your parents did, there's a tendency to just copy and paste that into your parenting experience. Well, my parents did this way. This is like the right way to do it. So I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to transplant that onto how I raise my kids. And now I'm doing exactly what was done onto me. I feel good about that. Okay, it's kind of a, a reaction. I'm just moving this over here. And then the flip side is also true. If I was raised in a certain way and I didn't like it, maybe I had a really negative experience, the reaction is not the, the copy and paste. The reaction is to oversteer. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what was done to me. Let me give you some examples. You might have been raised in a family or a, under a dad who maybe was a real kind of busy. You know, he worked all the time. 
And you would have maybe at the time think, thought, well, I, I wish I could be with my dad more, but you might have drawn the conclusion, hey, I, yeah, I made me resilient. You know, like I, I figured out a way how to do that. And so it's fine for me to parent and to be a father exactly like my father was for me. Draw some conclusions that way. I'm going to copy and paste that. Or I might say, you know what, I hated that my dad wasn't around that much. I'm not going to be like my dad was. And what will happen is the pendulum will swing and we'll be the exact opposite. We'll oversteer on that one. And now we're over-involved and maybe over-protective, right? And we're just literally reacting to the experience that we went through. You know, maybe dad was really tough on me. You know, maybe dad was, he was, his discipline was kind of heavy-handed. And we look and say, well, yeah, that made me tough. And so I'm going to be tough on my kids or I might look and say, I hated that dad was tough on me. So now I'm not going to discipline at all, right? I'm going to swing the opposite direction. And that could happen. There's a thousand examples of how that might look. And we want to ask the question today, how do I not just react based on how I was fathered? How do I actually respond instead and say, I want to look at a perfect heavenly father. He's the only perfect dad. I want to look at how he loves and how he disciplines and how he leads and how can I follow that example? And then I can filter my experience with my dad, take the good, implement it, and let, let the kind of the bad fall to the wayside and forgive it and move on. Right? That's the question we want to walk into today. Would God have a picture or some principles about how to be a dad and how we can do it? Right? We're imperfect people. How can we kind of do it full blast and embrace this season of life that we're in in fatherhood? So that's the conversation we're going to have. I want to show you this passage. It shows up in Psalm 127, 3 and 5, 3 through 5. We're going to put up here in the notes. Jot it down, maybe in your notes. If you're taking notes, here's what the psalmist would say. It says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Here's a fascinating picture that the psalmist is going to introduce us to. He says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So God's going to introduce this picture of, of parenthood, of fatherhood. And he's going to say, here's what it's like. It's like a warrior taking an arrow, putting it in his bow, and launching it out into the battlefield. That's the picture of a dad taking his child and kind of launching them out into the world. Right? It's kind of one way for us to see it. So what we want to do today is we look at that picture. I asked uh, my buddy if I could borrow his bow. And uh, this, this is not my bow. I am not a master archer, just so you know. So like, don't ask me archery questions. But this thing is awesome. <laughs> like, it is fantastic. I do feel like manly just holding it here. And it is huge, right? And all you ladies, don't get bent out of shape. I know you're like, women can be archers too. Yes, I know about Katniss, you know, and I've seen Brave uh, more times than I'd like to admit publicly. I know, ladies, you got it, but just let us have it for today. It's Father's Day. Right, so I feel manly holding this, and mainly I just want to play with it the whole time. It's fantastic. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the three movements of shooting an arrow right, out in the world, and that's going to frame our conversation. Here's what they are. Introduce you to them, and then we'll walk through them kind of one piece at a time. So when I think about being a dad, launching my kids out in the world, here's what they are. First one's this. I want to draw them close. I want to aim them high. I want to let them go. Okay? I want to draw them close. I want to aim them high. I want to let them go. Okay? And we're going to walk through those three movements and shoot an arrow as we kind of look at a picture of Father. Here's the first one. I want to draw them close, and I'm going to do that through compassion and discipline. Through compassion and discipline. 
So as, as I love and raise my children, as I draw them in close to who I am, here's something fascinating I want to know if I'm a dad, that my children, this is something a, a psychologist or sociologist would say, if you do the research, here's what they would find out. They would find that the impact that a father has on their children is massive. In fact, they would say things like this, that, that the way that a, fa- a son or a, a daughter would view their dad would actually frame out how they would view and understand God. When they're, when they're trying to figure out what God is like, like, what kind of compassion or discipline, and how does God view me, and how does he view the world, they're, they're going to think about and fill those blanks in with their view of their father. It's pretty sobering. Right? It's a pretty sobering thing to look at and to think about. But it's massive. So when we look at drawing our kids in close, pulling them into our, we will recognize that what we're doing in fatherhood is we're really giving our children an understanding of who God is. It's a sober and amazing privilege and amazing responsibility, but it shows up why we need our, our need for compassion. That's the first verse I want to introduce us to here in Psalm 103.3. Jot it down in your notes there if you want to. Here's what it says, 313. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So the psalmist is going to look, and he's explaining to the people he's writing to, right, as he's writing this psalm, that, that God has compassion on his people, just like a dad needs to look at his children and have compassion on his children. And dads, we know how this works. Right? Because we're 20 or 25 or 30 or more years ahead of our kids, there's always going to be a gap between our life experience and their life experience, between our knowledge and their knowledge, and we're always going to have to look back at where they are in life and there's going to be a need for compassion and patience to really meet them where they are and to not be frustrated sometimes. And uh, Dad's right. We, we run into this. We're going to lose it a little bit sometimes and get impatient and get, get frustrated with our kids. And uh, sometimes it's like all we can do to keep it together. I was thinking about this the other day. My, uh, my son and I, he's 10, right? So my oldest, we've built this little tradition of watching the Cavs game together, especially in postseason, man. We do not want to miss a game. It's a lot of fun. And we were setting up shop to watch game three, and we were, uh, Uriah, he had a, a friend over, a buddy over, and his buddy, he right, stay in the night, and so he brought with him uh, two Cokes, right, two, two cans of Coke, and we're some of those weird parents that, like, only let our kids have pop on special occasions, you know, and so my son, when he found out that his buddy brought Coke, he's like, Dad, can I have a Coke tonight? Is tonight a special occasion? I'm like, we're going big, buddy. Yeah, you can have a Coke. It's amazing, right? We're so excited. So we're getting set up for the game, and uh, we got all the snacks, and the couch is all decked out, laid out, ready to like just kind of lock in and watch the Cavs game. And he finds out that the Cokes have been left in the book bag, which are in the car. So the Cokes are like 90 degrees. You know, they're like warm. He's like, what do I do? I'm well, but you can, uh, you can get them cooled off in the freezer. I'm like, you could pour them over ice. Or if you want to drink out of the can, if you really want to, you, you could put it in the freezer for a little bit. And he's like, okay, I want to drink it out of the can. I was like, all right, let's put it in the freezer. And he's fired up to, to drink that Coke, right? He's going after it. It's about five minutes into the game, right? We are, it's, I think it's game three of the finals. We're, we're locked in watching this thing. And he's like, first commercial break, Dad, do you think that Coke is cooled off? <laughs> I don't think so, but I'm not sure. I'm going to check. Go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and check? He opens up, right? Takes a little sip. He's like, that's still warm, not ready yet. So he goes back into the freezer, sets it on the shelf, and closes the door. We go finish the rest of the first quarter. And uh, next commercial break or whatever, it's probably been about 10 minutes. He's like, Dad, you think that Coke's ready? I'm like, 
I doubt it, bud, but you can go check if you really want to. Right? And we're, we're all sitting on the couch, and uh, he, he makes his way back, back into the kitchen, which is right, kind of the room right next to us. I hear him walk in there. I hear him open the freezer door. And evidently, he had, uh, t- had set it right on the edge of the shelf, right? It's like booby-trapped himself, you know? And so when he opens that door, I hear, there's like an explosion, right, in the living room or in the kitchen. And I'm in the living room, and I hear it, and all I hear coming out of the kitchen is Uriah, and he's going, my Coke, right? He's like <laughs> grieving the loss of his Coke. And I'm thinking to myself, for the love of God, son, why didn't you just pour it over ice? <laughs> Like, I just want to watch the game, right? And so I, wa- I walk into the kitchen, and man, there is Coke everywhere. I mean, there is Coke in places in my kitchen that I did not, I didn't even know they existed, right? I'm still fighting Coke, like, to this day. And in that moment, I, I thought to myself, Uriah, I love you, bud, right? I'm going to meet you with compassion, but I just want to watch the game, man. Come on. Right? And we're all going to have experiences like that in parenting. It's how it works. I remember when, when my kids, are, when they were like two, I remember looking at them and said, why couldn't you just take the food and put it in your mouth? You know, like, how did you smear it all over your head? This is amazing. There's a need for compassion there, right? There's simple tasks. Hey, hey guys, can you go help mom out with the groceries? Yeah, just, just help her get the groceries done. Four hours later, the trunk, right, is still open. You're like, that was part of the assignment, right? B- basic things are missed. And so as a dad, those things are going to push us to the limit over and over and over again. And when they do, there's a little decision to make. Man, and I mess it up constantly, right, consistently, but I'm fighting for it. There's a decision. To, do, I, do I look at my children and why why don't you know better? Why, oh, you're so stupid. Why didn't you put it together? Why didn't you figure that out? Why, right? And I, and I can blow them up, right, in a, in a moment. Or I can meet them with compassion. What happens is if I can show kindness and patience and forgiveness, what happens is that draws them in close, draws them to my heart. And what happens is they begin to feel secure. And what happens is they get set up for a strong launch in life as they know that they have security in my love for them, that my love is not conditional, that there's nothing they could do that would make me love them more, and there's nothing they could do to make me love them less. Right? They experience that when they're met with compassion. And boy, I don't know about you dads, but I, I need that. I got to keep coming back to that, and a lot of times I mess it up, but I, I'm fighting for it. I know you are too. Right? So the first one, I want to draw them close through compassion. Here's another one. The, the next one is discipline, through discipline. You might look at that at first glance and think, why discipline? How, how does that draw my kids close to discipline them? Fascinating passage in the Bible is the thing's going to help us understand it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, the, the author here is actually writing about how God disciplines us. He's comparing it to how human fathers discipline their sons. It says, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. We respected them for it. It's fascinating when, when children look at their dad, and they look at their dad, and their dad sets boundaries and rules and makes those boundaries and rules clear, and they're doable, right? And they're consistent in holding their family to that. When a dad looks and says, I know my kids are imperfect, and I'm imperfect. I need to lead my children and my family in a way that's going to bring them health and life. I'm not going to just try to be their friend. I'm actually going to be their dad. When, when that kind of discipline shows up, 
even though our kids hate it in the moment, right? They throw a fit, they freak out, they think we're ruining their lives. The end result of, of consistent, regular, compassionate discipline ends up being that our kids walk away and they respect us. It's fascinating. It's completely counterintuitive, right? You, you would think that our kids would, would respect us and love us and be drawn close to our heart if, if they thought we were cool, right? And if we let them do whatever they want. Actually, the exact opposite is true. They feel drawn close to us when we actually set boundaries and we, we set the limits a little bit and we say, no, our family's not going to be about that. No, honey, you can't wear that. That's immodest. No, no son, we're not going to stay up that late, even the simple things. We're, we're going to say no here and there, and it's going to be disappointing. It's going to be frustrating. But as the dad, I'm consistently leading, setting order and direction and vision for my home. It's fascinating. I remember uh, learning this really early on as, as my, my two-year-old going through kind of that terrible two zone. Right? For the first time in parenting, they were rebelling over and over and over. They're always disobeying. I was trying to figure out, what is this? Like, why do they do that? What's happening when, when a child disobeys over and over and over? I remember learning this, and it always stuck with me. I can't remember where I picked it up. But I, I learned that what happens when a child is looking at dad, or mom for that matter, but, but dad kind of is the initiator of this process, when, when they look and they say, my dad set a boundary. He said this is right and this is wrong. When I do the wrong thing, what will dad do? Will he hold to his words? And will he hold me accountable to that or will he cave? Right? That's going on inside of the heart of a child. They couldn't say it out loud or couldn't articulate it, but that's what's happening. Here's what they're doing when they're doing that. They're trying to determine, is this person worth following? Does this person do what they say they're going to do? Not perfectly, but consistently. Is this person the real deal? Can I, can I look at them and follow them and know that their words are going to hold up, that they love me enough to, to not give me my way, but to do what's best for me, even though I don't even know what's best for me in the moment? So when that happens, what, what happens is we're, we're drawn in close to the heart of our parents. Our children are drawn close to our heart. I was just talking to a guy, he's, uh, I think he's 22 years old, and uh, he grew up with a really godly father. And I just asked him about this, literally this week because it was on my mind. I said, hey, as you were growing up in this dad's house, like he had a bunch of rules and stuff, I'm sure, right? And he said, oh yeah, I hated him. Hated him. I was so frustrated. He was always disappointing me and, and frustrating my plans to listen to my dad's rules. He, and he, I go, how do you view them now? 22, married. He, he looked at me, he said, oh, he goes, now it all makes sense. It all makes sense. Now I get it. I didn't get it at the time, but now I get it. And you know what he said? He said, my dad, he's my hero. I was like, oh, that's how it works. When you're in the thick of parenting, you think, man, my, my kids are, they're not respecting me. They're not excited about what I'm asking them to do. When discipline shows up like that, the end result whether, whether they want to land there or not, is going to be respect, right? That, that's what the, the scriptures would set up. If I'm consistent, if I'm compassionate, if I'm asking them to do things that are sane and doable, it's one way I can draw them close. All right, so there's the first one. Here's the second movement is going to be this, right? I'm going to draw them close throughout life. It's going to look a bunch of different ways throughout parenting. And then I want to aim them high is the next one. I want to aim them high. And the way to do that is through instruction, and our example, through our instruction and our example. 
I think this is just how a healthy dad is going to view their children. Healthy dad is going to look at their kids and say, these kids are not my kids. Uh, they're God's kids, right? At the end of the day, I've been entrusted with raising them, and I want to launch them into the world as far as they can possibly go. That's how, a, that's how a healthy dad would view it. I want them to become all that they could possibly be. I want them to fill out all their potential that God would put in their life, and I want to be a part of that if I can. I want to set them up for a trajectory that will launch them, right? And I want to aim them high. And one big way to do that is through instruction. Here's a, a verse that will help us with that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, talking directly to fathers. Fathers, don't, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate your children. Don't put standards on them that they cannot meet. Don't frustrate deeply, right, when you're looking at, at asking them to do things that are impossible for them. So instead, ha right, have compassion, do that. And then what I want to do is I want to aim them high. I want to bring them up the training, the instruction of the Lord. And what does that look like? And certainly, dads, it needs to look like, I think, using the Bible with our children, teaching them the Bible, praying with them, right, setting a spiritual tone in our homes, and ladies, slow down now. If you just took your elbow and jammed it into your husband's side, put that thing back in its holster, please, right? But, but for dads, this, this is our work, right? We want to set a tone. It's a privilege. It's an honor. But even more importantly than like having devotions with our kids, well, I think that's extremely important. Probably the more important thing is to integrate and help our kids see in the middle of their right now how God is working, and how he wants to mold them and change them and use their lives. So what, what would that look like? Well, may, maybe when our kids are bullied, you know, at school or on sports teams or whatever, rather than kind of aiming low and, and saying, you know, that kid's a punk anyway, right? He's, he's a jerk. Who cares? Just, just hate his guts. I want to look at him and say, no, no, son, no daughter. What we're going to do, we're going to pray for our enemies, this is how God would view this situation. God loves this kid that's bullying you. Maybe there's some pain in their life. Let's try to understand this differently. Right? When a kid doesn't make the team, there's going to be a temptation to look and say, you know, well, only, only the kids make it who have coach dads that coach on the team, and there's a bias, and there's a thing, and I'm going to talk, and I'm going to complain. And blah, blah. Rather than doing that, I want to aim high and say, here, here bud, here, here, honey, here's how you persevere through trials. Here's how you learn perseverance. Here's how to work harder. Here's how to handle a disappointment. I want to aim them high. When they totally blow it, which they're going to, right, just like you and I do, they're going, when they totally blow it, am I going to look at them and berate them and condemn them and rub it in their face? Am I going to look and say, this is how we cling to the grace and the forgiveness of God. You're imperfect like I'm imperfect, and this is why I need Jesus just like you do. Teach them how to follow. Integrating that instruction in a little bit at a time, right? All, all along the way, helping our kids see God's work and His ways in our lives, it's a big deal. And it sets them up, right? It puts us in a posture to launch them into life. Now, how they fly is up to them, but I want to aim them towards the things of God, towards the ways of God, and show them who He is. Right? We're going to do that through our instruction and then we're going to do that through our example. Our example, and here's where this one really starts to show up. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous lead blameless lives. 
Blessed are their children after them. The righteously blameless lives, blessed are their children after them. So when, when the author here is talking about righteous and blameless, hear me, this is not talking about being perfect. Uh, there are no perfect dads. We're all deeply imperfect people. I am uh, key among those. When talking about being blameless, here's the idea. Somebody who's blameless is honest about who they are. They're honest about what they believe, and they're committed to living that out and seeing it show up in real life. Somebody who does that on a regular basis, their life is going to be changed by that commitment to Jesus. That's just what's going to happen. Right? I'm going to be the same person in every venue that I find myself in. The, the, the character is going to be the same, whether I'm at work or at school or with, with the guys or with the kids. What I find acceptable and what I find funny and what might be the kind of topic of conversation or appropriateness is going to be the, the same thing. I'm the same person. And what happens is he's saying, when that happens, my kids are blessed because when they think about making a decision in life, their default is to look at their dad. We talked about that. And the closer my life is to what God would have it be, the more blessed they're going to be, right? Because that gap is not as, as huge. They don't have to start from scratch. They can look and say, my dad interacted with money this way. When my dad lost his job, here's how he interacted with it. Right? When my dad interacted with finances, here's how he interacted. I know my dad sacrificed and gave financially. I know my dad dealt with integrity and honesty this way, right, over and over. And guys, we feel the weight of this, don't we? I do. I feel it big time. I was, I was uh, invited to go to a Cavs game with my son not too long ago. And if you've ever been, been up and watched a game, uh, every once in a while it will happen. You've got the big Megatron out there and Every once in a while, the camera's scanning through the crowd, and they'll, they'll zoom in on a lady with kind of a low-cut shirt, then like super zoom in. So you got like Megatron lady low-cut shirt, you know? And you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> here we go. And so my, my son, Uriah, he's 10 years old. This is happening real time, you know? And I, f I feel him like look over at me like, what are we going to do with this? You know, like this is happening right now. And uh, I was like, this is fascinating. This is happening. So what I did was I was like, I'm not real sure, just to be honest. So I just look back at him, you know, and what happened is we're like, we don't really know what else to do. Let's just look at each other, you know, and, and every time that happened and, or maybe the cheerleaders came out, we're like, we never even talked about it. We're, we're just going to stare at each other because we don't really have any other options. You know, but as I was doing that, as that kind of moment played out, I thought to myself, oh, God, help me, right? Like, I caught this one, and I, this is happening all the time. Oh, my, like, my daughters and my son, they are picking up my values and my principles, my attitudes and my actions. Friends, I am deeply imperfect. And I thought, God, I need you to help me. I, I want to aim them high. I want to have an example. Uh, the only way I'm going to do that is to cling to you, Jesus. You got to keep changing me. It's a big point of fatherhood is recognizing that I am setting an example and it is going to be imperfect. And so, God, I need you to help me with it. It's the only way it's going to work, right? It's the only way it's going to work. And I know for me, um, when I started out, when we first got pregnant and we were, had our first on the way, I was super idealistic. Usually, we kind of start off this way, you know, in parenting. And when we were expecting our first, I was like, when my son turns six, he will learn Hebrew. He will learn the original language of the Bible. 
And by the time he's 12, he will have it all memorized, and he will be a Jewish scholar of the Bible, right? I was like, insane. Now I'm like, hey, bud, you're 10. You can read, right? <laughs> like, it's good. And that, that idealism, it's got to get shaken off. It's got to go away. But we know how it is. There's some parts of our vision for parenting that are good. You know, there, there, there's some healthy some healthy high intentions. And when we started off, man, we were aiming high. We were going after it. And dads, I'm like this at least. I'm 10 years in, right? So I'm not nearly as far as some of you, right? I'll have to take some notes on how to do the later years if you have some tips. But 10 years in, you know, I started off high and I was aiming, right, really to launch my kids out. And then then you have another child and work starts Right? You get tired and you lose some sleep and you have another kid and another kid, right? another job change and you move and you sell the house and all of a sudden you wake up five or ten years later and you're like, what am I, what am I even aiming at anymore? Like, like, what are we doing? Do I have a vision for my children still? Is this happening on purpose? Do I want all that... I want for them, do I want God's best for them? And for me, at least, the bow gets heavy. The bow gets heavy. I'm fighting for it, but for me, it'll start to sink on me, and I got to fight to keep being intentional, to keep going after God's best for my kids. Frankly, dads, I just think that's how it is. I haven't learned any other way, but, but to recognize that that drift is going to happen, the bow is going to get heavy, and I got to keep fighting to, to recalibrate my aim for my kids over and over and over. It's a fight worth fighting, but it's real, right? I draw them close. I aim them high. Here's the last one. I want to let them go. I want to let them go. It's all part of sending our kids into the world. The way we're going to do that is through celebrating and releasing you're celebrating and releasing. Draw them close, aim them high, and let them go. You know, I really wanted to shoot like a real arrow in this service. And the, the legal people were like, no arrows for you, bud. <laughs> right? Like, absolutely not. But right, we, we got to let them go. We got to start releasing them. And I, I believe that at least the easiest way to do that is really to start early. A little bit at a time, I want to recognize that this person, this girl or this boy that God has put in my life is not just me raising a child. I'm raising a future man or woman. You know, we're going to see this show up in a big way here in Genesis in 2.20 and 2.24. Here's what it says. That's why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This passage is Moses talking to people about a marriage and more than just marriage, about independence. This is before sin even entered the world. It was always God's intention that every human being would become independent. And when when they grew into full maturity, they'd leave that biological home and they would go form a new biological family of their own, or they would go be independent and live single lives and live, live that out fully, right? That independence is something that is to be celebrated. It's not meant to be that our kids are always dependent on us and need us and need us to fill in the blanks for them. And that's hard, right? Because it feels good to be needed. And we might look at our kids and say, man, they're, they're going to mess it up like bad. You know, if I, start, if I start letting them make their own decisions, 
if I start releasing them, they're, they're going to bumble around and mess that thing up. And we got to look and say, probably the default answer it needs to be that I probably let them fail more often than I jump in and rescue. You know? And boy, listen, if you are, if you are an adult, a parent of adult uh, children, right? if you've kind of launched your kids, if they're 20, they're 25, they're 30, they're grown up. They're grown up. You say, yeah, they're not acting grown up. I know. But they're grown up. They're adults. You need to be there. You need to celebrate them. You need to champion the, the gifts and the strengths that you see in their lives. But they need to be released because they're not going to grow into full independence while you still hold on. If they're still in the quiver, if they're still locked and loaded, they're not flying yet. Okay? We want to release them out into the world. Boy, that's a a scary and a challenging thing, and I'm not totally there yet. I just feel it in little parts. I believe in it, because that's how God made it to be. They're his kids. I just get the privilege of raising them. So these three movements, drawing them close, aiming them high, letting them go, are happening all the time. Right? They're happening every day or every week or every month. It's a picture of how parenting works. What do we do with this? How do we walk away this Father's Day? Let me first talk uh, to you if, if, as a child, right? For if you're coming from the child to father perspective. Uh, you may have grown up in a home where dad tried to do this. And if your dad did this, any version, it didn't have to be perfect. I'm sure he messed it up in some ways. It, but if your dad tried to, to draw you close, aim you high and let you go, please thank him for that. What a gift. What a gift. That's a beautiful thing. If, if, if your dad is, is with the Lord now, I'm sorry for that loss, and stop and thank God for that beautiful gift that you have, that you had, and you continue to be fathered by him even from the other side of the grave. It's something to stop and say thank you for and verbalize that if your father is living. It will mean the world to him. It's a big deal. Guys, and I recognize a ton of us here, um, we didn't have this experience growing up. You know, we, we were hurt or left by our fathers. And as you hear about this picture of fathers, you're like, man, that would be amazing if I had that. My, my upbringing was nothing like that, like at all. Listen, if that's you, I want you to understand that that's, that's my story too. Um, my parents divorced when I was one, and I, I was raised without a dad. And the pain of, of trying to figure out life without a dad has been, it's been tremendous. It really has. And if your dad hurt you or left you or scarred you, whether you are a man or a woman or a teen, wherever you are in life, if you have been hurt, hear me. Not having the kind of fatherhood that we talked about today is something to genuinely grieve. It is a true loss. It's a true loss. Right? Grieve that. Forgive that. It's important to process it. It has been in my life. It continues to be, frankly. It's a big deal. It's an important relationship. Listen, you might be here today and you might be the dad that blew it. You might be the dad that left or that made all the wrong decisions. And you might be sitting here thinking, 
What do I do now? It's over. I missed my shot. And your kids may be doing well or they may not be doing well, but you're kind of stuck with this experience. Please hear me. If you're in that place and you feel like you blew it, it is critical that you move back towards your children in some significant way. About 10 years ago, I, I reconciled with my dad. I didn't grow up with him. I had a stepdad from kind of 10 on, but my biological dad and I really never had a relationship. About 10 years ago, he reached out to me, and uh, we reconnected. I, I didn't even know where he was. I couldn't even find him until 10 years ago. And we sat down, we had a conversation, and he, as we talked about it, I said, Dad, like, why didn't you come back? You knew where I was. You knew how to find me. You, you, I even believed that he loved me. Dad, you know what he said? He said, Ryan, I saw that you had the stepdad now and your mom moved on and seemed like you were doing okay. He said, I thought you were better off without me. What an absolute lie, he believed. What an absolute lie. I always wanted my dad back in my life. I always wanted that. Listen, if you blew it, if you have a child somewhere, you have a broken relationship, or you feel like you blew it, hear me. Lead with humility. Have the courage to, to reinitiate that conversation and heal that broken relationship. It is a big deal in your life and in their life. My, my dad and I, my biological dad, we're, we're not best friends. But here's the important part. He knows I love him. He knows I forgive him. And I know he loves me. He lives states away, and that's good. We're, we're fine, right? That closure is a big deal. And if you're looking back and saying, I got these regrets, it is not too late to move on those. There's healing you can start over, okay? You can at least make it right. And some of us, are, we're dads right now, and... Uh, we're saying, Ryan, when you talk about the bow, I don't even know where I'm pointing this thing right now. I never, like, I never even thought about it. I'm just kind of doing life, and my kids are doing life, and I don't even really know where we're going. The beautiful thing is, is you can start right now, right? You can say, you know what? I'm going to choose to aim high. From today on, our family is going to be different. You can look at your family, and you can lead with these two words, I'm sorry. Right? I'm sorry that I haven't directed our family towards the things of God, that I haven't been the kind of man that I want to be, that I haven't been the dad I want to be. Would you be patient with me? Would you forgive me? And can I lead us to a new kind of normal as a family? You can do that today. Beautiful. It's a new start. It's the grace of God. Some of us, man, we're in the thick of the fight. We're, we're aiming high and we're fighting for it and it, it's heavy and the bow is getting heavy and life is hard and I have failed and I'm tested. I'm, I'm trying to aim high but I'm getting tired. Listen, man, if you are in that place, you're here, you're fighting for the things of God, you're doing your best at home, you're trying to lead them to the heart of Jesus, hear me, your work is working. 
it is worth it. As you fight for your kids' hearts, it is worth the fight. Do not quit. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Because someone else will fight for them if you don't. Strengthen yourself. Be encouraged. And know that your kids are drawing stuff about God, good stuff, far more than you even know. Okay. Keep in the fight. So what we want to do is we walk away today. We want to, uh, if you're a dad or you want to be a dad, we want to give you this, this little arrow here. I want you to take this. You can grab one on the way out. Put this in your pen jar at work or your work truck or somewhere where you're going to see it to remember this conversation. Right? As we draw them close, aim them high, we let them go. Arrows in the hands of a warrior, and we're doing that right now. So right, walk away with this, grab it, and uh, make that a reminder of what God's doing in your life. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Let me pray for all of us. We'll sing and pray together. Father, we stop uh, right now, and uh, we recognize that you alone are the only perfect Father. Uh, you're the only one that loves and forgives and disciplines and suffers long in the lives of, of, of us, of your children. And God, we look to you as our only perfect example, and we thank you that you teach us what love is. God, we are, we are imperfect men and women, and we need the love of a perfect father. I pray, God, for, for everyone here who's lost their father. I pray your healing and your grace and your mercy and your presence here now. There's no replacement for dad. So God, heal that wound in every way. I pray for, for those who have had great dads, whether here or with the Lord. How would you just stir up gratitude in us? We say thank you for their lives, for every godly man who has affected us. Thank you, Lord. They've pointed us to you. They've set a tone in our lives and our families. We praise you for that. What a gift. God, I pray for everyone who's been hurt by their dad, scarred. Um, I pray that you would heal and you'd give them the courage to forgive and even to grieve the loss of a father-son or a father-daughter relationship. God, for every man in here who feels like they've blown it, I pray that they would know your grace and your mercy and not beat themselves up but to know they can start again right where they are. Even if their kids are out of the house or their example continues to reverberate and affect the lives of their children. God, for, for those who have been fighting hard to aim high and are tired, strengthen these men, Lord. Raise them up. Help them to be all that you want them to be and help them to know that they are on the right track and they're doing well and you're proud of them. Oh, Lord, we need you. We say thank you for the great privilege of having our fathers and being fathers. Would you meet us here, Lord, the one and only perfect Father? Mm -hmm.